The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. Today, I'm very excited to be with you and to help you to understand a little bit about nighttime parenting. I have with me expert and author Cecilia Tomari. She is the author of Nighttime Breastfeeding, an American cultural dilemma. Cecilia, welcome to the show. Thank you. Cecilia, nighttime feeding is kind of a big hairy deal for parents, whether they are breastfeeding or formula feeding. And we've had some other shows that have talked a little bit about nighttime directly or indirectly. So we're very eager to hear from your perspective how how does all of this figure in? What do we believe? What's a myth? What's a uh, fact? And because you're an anthropologist, I'd like to start out with, what exactly does anthropology tell us about mother and infant sleep? Sure. So we have multiple different subfields in anthropology. Um, it's a four-field discipline in the United States, and I'm a sociocultural anthropologist, but I also have my eyes very closely on the biological anthropology work in the field, and so I integrate both of those subfields um, in how I think okay. about nighttime breastfeeding. So anthropology has multiple different things to say. I think probably one of the most important ones is to think about this not only in the context of humans in one particular culture in one particular historical moment, but across a much richer and deeper history. So biological anthropologists, particularly James McKenna and Helen have done some amazing work showing how to think about this in an evolutionary perspective. And I think that really helps to reframe some of the questions that people struggle with, because if we think about this as a much, much older set of adaptive behaviors that are common to mammals, you know, the, the defining mm-hmm. feature of mammals, right, yes. is lactation. And um, sleep and, and lactation are interrelated. And so if you think about other mammals, of course, mammals sleep with other mammals, oftentimes uh, parents and siblings. And this is considered something that is perfectly normal. And in terms of breastfeeding and, you know, of course, lactation in the mammalian context, Various species have different kinds of strategies for this. Of course, it takes place throughout the day or night, depending on the particular activities of that species. 
and sleep and breastfeeding are inextricably related. And so Mm -hmm. if we think about it as an adaptive set of behaviors, then we have an entirely different set of questions to ask. So it's a much older set of behaviors than I think most people think about. They are interrelated, so breastfeeding and sleep are not really things to think about only separately, but interrelated physiologically, evolutionarily. And then, of course, from the sociocultural anthropological side, if you look at this in a different way, most cultures around the world um, bring their babies into bed with them. So mm. usually it's moms who sleep with infants, but not necessarily, but most of the time. And then usually children move on to with various other family members, including siblings, grandparents, various other relatives. Um, so the idea of babies sleeping alone is actually a fairly unusual phenomenon, and historically speaking, pretty recent, even for many cultures in Europe and certainly in the United States, um, and even in these cultures. And of course, these are multiple cultures, both in Europe and in the United States. Many people think that bringing babies into bed is completely an everyday occurrence. So the, the idea, so the entire set of questions that we ask are different, I think, because of the anthropological perspective. It's a different lens that helps to organize the question. So, Cecilia, I think what you're telling me is that the vast majority of people outside of America are more likely to have their babies sleeping at first with their mothers and then with other family members. And I think you're also saying that even in America... The idea of a baby sleeping alone is a relatively new concept from a historical standpoint. Am I following you here? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. And not necessarily coming to all. So you know, even even as a recent idea, it's you know, that idea may be dominant today, but it doesn't mean ideas do not coexist at the Uh same time. So, Cecilia, I, I don't want to paint you in a corner here with percentages, but would you say mm-hmm. that it's more more than half of the people in the world, more than three quarters of the people in oh, the world? I would, yeah, I, I would say, you know, I mean, I haven't looked at it in a population percentage um, uh, numerical way, but I would say the, the vast majority. So I think, okay. you know, in terms of population, I think it's, rather unusual to have completely separate sleep as a as an ideal, as a cultural ideal, and certainly in terms of practice, probably even less so. So yes, it would be a minority. Okay. Not the and majority. When you say that it's fairly new here in America, would you say within yeah. the last hundred years or so? Right. So all of this tied up with some other historical processes, you know, um, especially the medical yeah. So some of those, you know, and right, exactly. And of course, you know, you know a lot about these connections, and and that's why so many people in the lactation world are oriented towards birth. Because of course, the other piece of this, of the puzzle that we don't want to break apart in terms of either the evolutionary history or the medical aspect is that birth and lactation are also inextricably related. Absolutely. Right? And so this is sort of a, a triumvirate if I think about it that way, right? And so I think that is one of the crucial historical changes that took place 
um, which is what really kind of broke apart these phenomena. So you have medicalization of childbirth and you have these interventions and this kind of expertise come into different parts of body functions. And so the rise of obstetric care, you know, that is focused particularly on the moms and then pediatrics, which is focused on the baby, we're not really thinking about these things as a unit anymore. Right. And we have, right. you know, birth taking place in the in hospitals and we have babies being separated from moms. We have, you know, artificial feeding as the dominant norm. And this is also in the era of these ideas about infant care um, that are very behaviorist. So we have, you know, very um, strict regulations about how much contact parents and babies should really have with each other, kind of a limited approach to touching, you know, regular feeding schedules, the idea of regulating sleep. So all of these things um, become dominant cultural um, ideals, you know, what I call you know, cultural ideologies, which are tied to many other cultural values. And so what mm. seems to us to be sort of a, a normal ideal that, you know, babies should be separate from their moms, I mean, it's, it's really not a very old phenomenon at all. And so definitely, I think, last hundred years, I mean, the medicalization of childbirth starts before then, of course. So, you know, it's kind of a an uneven process. And it's important to point out that, of course, not for everyone, right? So oftentimes these ideals come with particular social groups. So, you know, just like medicalization of childbirth, this also, you know, is, is associated with particular social groups. And well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm thinking that for many people in America, they just assume that mothers who are women go to bed with partners who are men. Right. And so the baby is not part of that thought process. I think that most mainstream American type people just assume that's what they've seen their parents do. That's what they've seen uh, other people do or assumed other people have done or see it. I guess maybe TV, media, that sort of thing uh, always seems to me as though uh, that's what people do. And so when we see it, we accept it as a social norm which doesn't necessarily mean that it is the social norm in the whole world, and it certainly doesn't mean it's a biological norm. That's another sure. whole story. Right, so, right. Uh, I doubt that we'll get time to finish this before the break, but can you just get us started, please, on why do you think that breastfeeding parents, uh, excuse me, that, that breastfeeding and co-sleeping, especially bed sharing, why is this so controversial in the U.S.? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think you're getting to exactly the, the crux of the issues. And so as these ideas change, and there are multiple social transformations that are going on at the same time, and, and these changes, you know, like I said, childbirth, are being led by particularly elite white women who are then, you know, other women, um, middle-class women copy some of these ideals, and then for the rest of the population in the U.S. is often, you know, sort of an enforced kind of way of, of doing things differently, you know, that's regulated by hospitals. So it's not always, you know, it's often um, filled with sort of power dynamics among these groups. That's what I was saying. You know, there's 
many different groups within the U.S. who did not necessarily make the transformations at the same time, continued to, you know, breastfeed longer and, you know, brought their babies into bed with us. All necessarily entirely accepted, but we have changing ideas about morality. And so, what, oh, what does mm-hmm. it mean, you know, to be in this bedroom? These ideas about um, uh, romantic partnerships, and you know, for elite women, you know, the baby being taken by initially a, a wet nurse, right? And 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 kind of um, this romantic relationship being valued with the husband over that with baby who is then taken care of by someone else. Of course, for middle-class people, you know, that, that was not quite the same way. But nevertheless, you know, you have these ideals kind of um, diffusing across the cultural landscape. And so then you this embedded in space. So you have the separation of, you know, the master bedroom and right. the baby being in the nursery. So... You know, and like you said, of course, all of this is reinforced by media and the entire industry that's behind, for example, you know, the products and all the things that they're supposed to be purchasing for our nurseries. And so, you know, all of this kind of circles back around. And so the controversies, you know, circle around these ideas about what exactly is supposed to be happening in that bedroom and the association of bedrooms and beds with sex and increasingly breath being associated with sex only and not oh, yes. with nurturing babies. Oh, yes. Uh, what a wonderful point to uh, momentarily hesitate on. We will pick this up when we come back. I'm Marie Biancuzzo. I'm here today with author Cecilia Tomari. We will be right back after this short break. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with expert and author Cecilia Tamari. Cecilia, we were just talking on the uh, other side of the break about how uh, breastfeeding and sleeping somehow implies that bit of intimacy. And as soon as we start talking intimacy or intimate spaces, basically, we start talking about sexuality. So how does all of this figure in with why why breastfeeding parents? I, I suppose maybe formula feeding parents struggle with this, but I don't, it seems to me like they don't struggle as much. Uh, why do breastfeeding parents in the U.S. have such a hard time with uh, nighttime feeding or sleeping? Right. So I think one of the biggest issues here is that we have a very interesting phenomenon, which is unusual, which is you know generations of people who are not breastfeeding So, you know, this is during that time of having these ideas about separation firmly in place, artificial feeding as the main dominant norm, and we have not not, uh, breastfed much during this time. And so as with the return of breastfeeding, you know, as it starts, you know, through grassroots movements and then through public health advocacy, we have this return to breastfeeding, except that we now have these ideas about sexuality and the way that we're supposed to have the children be separated from us at night. And these ideas basically start to collide yeah. with one another. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is particularly the reason why, um, to your, your point about why breastfeeding parents in particular are struggling with this, because what I think they're finding out, and I think this is one of the um, sort of neatest parts of doing the ethnographic work for me, that they're not planning to challenge these norms. They're not going into breastfeeding saying, you know what, I, I'm going to breastfeed and I'm going to transform how we're going to care for babies at night. That is just not what happens. What happens is people are wanting to breastfeed, they're interested in trying breastfeeding, and as they're trying breastfeeding, they're finding out that they're falling asleep with their babies. As the yes. Yes. And I think, yes. you know, and I think for everyone, and, you know, this is, if I talk to people, whether this is in the United States or elsewhere where I give talks, you know, of course, people say, of course, they fall asleep. The question is, how do we respond to this situation in this cultural setting? And that's where our conflict lies. It, this, this does not need to be a conflict. It is a conflict that is created by these clashing cultural ideologies, you know, sort of 
the changes that, you know, we're, we're kind of fighting some of the breastfeeding changes, you know, not, I mean, not everybody's all excited about these changes. You know, we're accepting breastfeeding more, but it's a contested kind of change. But the sleep issue has not been challenged in the same way. And so they're sort of running up against each other. And, you know, now what are we supposed to do? You know, what are we supposed to do if we're falling asleep in the bed when we, in fact, did not plan to fall asleep in the bed? Well, from a biological standpoint, I'm thinking about the fact that prolactin levels increase when the mother is breastfeeding the baby. And uh, prolactin has that effect of helping the mother to feel relaxed. And when we feel relaxed, what do we do? We feel sleepy, particularly if the lights are off, we're in a horizontal or mostly horizontal position. And oh, by the way, it's nighttime. And so it seems as though the sort of the hormones are there that yeah mothers do fall asleep but they're they're really feeling very guilty about that i really like your idea that there's some collision here between the idea that breastfeeding is having sort of a you know a, a, a much more popular kind of thing going around these days which is great i'm all for it but we haven't really stopped to think about how does this line up with what happens every day or more specifically every night. And I can tell you, I've worked more nights in a hospital than what I care to remember. People do get sleepy and, and this does happen. So one of the things that I guess I would wonder is, do you think that parents who plan to breastfeed plan for nighttime feedings before the babies are born or is it rather that the baby is born and then it suddenly dawns on them oh whoa how am I going to navigate this whole nighttime thing I mean there's very little preparation about nighttime so if you take um, childbirth education courses even if you take the component with breastfeeding there's really very little information about nighttime, and I think part of the reason for that is because of this cultural history that I um, gave you earlier, the division. You know, it's kind of treated even in a more progressive childbirth education course. Oftentimes, you know, childbirth takes up a very long time in the sessions. Breastfeeding is sort of an afterthought. It's separate from birth, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's an added component, and there's yep. very little on sleep, and sort of there's no merging, there's not an integrated perspective that brings these three things together. And so people are not very prepared. I think that they know that they're going to be up at night, but they don't really know how this is going to work, because we don't really teach this evolutionary physiology as something that's integrated, that's happening at the same time. And so I think people are actually kind of surprised by what, what's happening. You know, they're surprised by how challenging it is to learn how to breastfeed and figure out how to sleep physically. You know, how do you arrange yeah. yourself? How do you feed this baby? It's hard enough, you know, as a, as a physical, very visceral process, right? And then how to get some sleep and what they're finding, you know, and this, of course, happens because this is supposed to work physiologically, as you said, is as you're nursing the baby, the baby's falling asleep, you're falling asleep. And, you know, they're trying to follow these recommendations. So they try to put the baby somewhere else. And then the baby wakes up. Absolutely. And then they repeat the cycle. And there's only so many times most people can handle 
repeating this cycle. They absolutely <laughs> yes. exhausted. And so, yes. you know, it's not that people aren't attempting. I think, you know, most people do try to adhere to some of these recommendations. I just think that the, the challenges of that, you know, the exhaustion from birth, the challenge of learning how to breastfeed, and figuring this out all at the same time, I mean, it's just incredibly difficult. So it is not a surprise. And of course, you know, from an evolutionary perspective, it is what we would expect would happen, that people would fall asleep wherever they are feeding that baby. Um, and, you know, in terms of questions about safety, you know, it really matters where that place is. Cecilia, do we have any data on, or maybe you just said the data, I'm not sure which, do we have any data on the amount of information that parents get about sleep habits postpartum? So um, in terms of formal measures, I'm not aware that we have such a database because everybody takes such a heterogeneous collection of preparation courses if they take any, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, What kind of courses you're taking and what kind of information you're being presented. But, you know, when I was doing my own field work, and, of course, you know, that was years ago, but I I do, you know, of course, talk to other people who are teaching these courses now. As far as I know, it's not a lot of change in this area. So it's, it's not... You know, I mean, it would be an interesting project to measure, you know, exactly what exactly are we telling people ahead of time. They're getting advice from multiple different sources, right? So they're getting, you know, the information from the courses that they're attending, but they're, of course, getting information from their pediatricians and obstetricians and on the web, neighbors, friends, and all these other people. So they're kind of trying to end the books and internet. I mean, so it's, it's a it's a lot to sort through. Um, I, what, I, what I was not seeing when I was working in this area, um, you know, in the field work itself and talking to other people, not seeing a lot of emphasis on sort of what we would call the normal sort of physiology of, you know, primate parents um, or, you know, the idea that this is, you know, related to lactation, you know, the way that sleep works. And so having that kind of, preparation would, I think, really change the way we think about this um, if we got this before we um, actually had our baby. Well, Cecilia, there are two things that really jump out at me here. First of all, I teach a comprehensive course to lactation consultants, and I think that pretty much every year I have swapped around the content about feeding or excuse me, about sleeping, mm-hmm. because I think, oh, well, I'll put it with the neuro stuff. It probably goes there. And then I'm thinking, well, no, I guess I'll put it with the social stuff. It probably goes there. And, you know, I feel like I'm always trying to put it in a place that makes more sense or flows better. And the truth is it belongs in all of those places. And yet in none of those places, in the sense that there's so much hype nowadays about what you're supposed to be doing. I, I, I struggle with, am I teaching about the rules or am I teaching about what is the biological or the, the normal imperative here? And the rules that we are given are often very counter to 
counterintuitive, I guess I would say. And I get a lot of questions about, well, what do we say to the parent? What do we say to the parent? What do we say to the parent? And one of the things that I hear myself saying is, you know, honestly, you can teach parents all these things and they can even try to carry them out, which is what you've said. Yes, parents do try to do this stuff that we tell them to do. But truth is, at the end of the day, I've been a nurse long enough to know that when people go home, they're going to do what they want to do. And I, as I hear you talking, it just seems to me like there is this overwhelming urge to do something that isn't what we're teaching. And there is yet another uh, collision, as you said. And that that's really a, a real issue. So, hey, everybody, do not go away. When we come back, I am going to ask Cecilia Tomori uh, to explain to us, please, a little bit about what happens when parents bring their babies home after birth. Don't go away. We'll, we'll be right back after this short break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues, anxious, parenting challenges, no more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding. We have with us today Cecilia Tamari, who is talking with us about how sleep hitches up 
with breastfeeding, and the, the, she's already pointed out several of these collision issues, which I think is a very interesting word. So, Dr. Tomori, when I there was something that kind of clicked with me as you were talking about the medicalization, and I was thinking, you know, around the turn of the 20th century, most women were having their babies at home. And then along about, I don't know, the 1920s or so was where the tide sort of shifted and we started seeing more and more babies born in the hospital. And now, of course, oh dear, I'm not up on that statistic, but I'm fairly sure it's more than 95% of babies are born in the hospital. So what happens when parents bring their babies home after birth? This is, you know, I, I really like the way you situated it in that longer historical context because I think that is, you know, this is the, the core of why we're having such a hard time. So whereas in a home birth environment in the past, you know, attended by midwives who were attuned to multiple different aspects of this process, not just one part, not just focusing on the birth itself, not but the, the entire, exactly, yeah. and, the, and the entire um, relationship of the mom and the big um, diet, of course, and the whole family, so it's a much more social process. In that context, you know, the, the sleep issue was really not much of an issue. Right. But when people go to the hospital and they go through a whole series of interventions most of the time, because that is how most people give birth in the United States, is with numerous interventions, you know, and some of them, of course, surgical intervention. So they're recovering from a major event, not just in the sense of birth itself being a major event, but an additional sort of medical event, which, you, which could include surgery. I mean, so there's a serious yes. set of interventions. So they're recovering from all of this. And a lot of times, as you know, the moms and the babies have been separated for some time. Mm-hmm. A lot of times mm-hmm. their breastfeeding has been interrupted. Yes. Um, and so when they um, arrive at home, they are often in pretty rough shape because they are really, really struggling with figuring out how to breastfeed after all of these disruptions the normal physiology of the process, right? And then, then on top of it, trying to figure out how to deal with sleep. And, and by then, you know, they are also extremely tired because usually at hospitals, they have a very difficult time getting rest, partly because there are so many interruptions. They're getting a lot of staff. So, you know, there's so much going on in hospitals that by the time they get home, you know, they, it's a cumulative fatigue. So the high yes. of the birth is kind of worn off, and mm-hmm. now we're left with the baby who's uh-huh. trying to figure out how to nurse, the baby can be upset, the parents are tired and upset. So it's, it's quite a combination to try to figure out how to sleep, right? Um, and so it's in that context that then they have to make these decisions. And what happens is that all the plans that they had basically get thrown out. I think that that's one of the, you know, it's not my, not just my finding, it's other people's finding too who do more quantitatively oriented research. So it's pretty much the same. People plan for putting their baby into a bassinet or to a close sleeper or some sort of a basket on the side of the, the bed, usually for a short few weeks, and then, you know, move the baby out of the room. But what really happens is that people 
bring their babies into bed with them. Even if they don't bring the baby into bed with them regularly or they don't call it, you know, they may not label it co-sleeping or bed sharing, right? They will still do it. Um, they may not consider it um, co-sleeping if they don't do it regularly, but it may turn out, as you talk to people, that actually the baby is in bed for, you know, half the night or two-thirds of the night or <laughs> intermittently. So, so then, you know, that, the babies are in bed. You're telling me that there is data that backs up what I have just casually observed, which is parents are yeah. going to do what they want to do. Pretty much. I think, you know, I'm not sure they want to either. I mean, that's another question. You know, I think a lot of people really struggle with this because they know, A, that they're not, quote, unquote, supposed, supposed to do it. Supposed to, they're, You right. know, they're being told that that's, you know, I mean, we can talk about the recommendations that just came out on Monday, but, you know, as of until, you know, Monday, um, you know, we had recommendations that really were so threatening um, you know, that people, you know, my ethnography, you know, really felt like they might kill their baby if they bring the baby into bed with them. I mean, that is a terrifying message. And so in order to avoid that scenario, you know, some people ended up sleeping on the couch, which of course is, you know, I don't know, I think 30 more dangerous than bringing your baby into bed with you, which is why the recommendations now strongly advise against sleeping on the couch, you know, so people will do all sorts of things to try to do what they're quote-unquote supposed to do as they're trying to figure out what their own patterns are going to be. In the meantime, some parents, as they are bringing their babies into bed, and some of these people become more regular um, bed sharers, they start realizing that they're actually getting more sleep and that the physiology is coordinated. So they're finding some of these things that, you know, I was telling you earlier about the, the, the intimate, in, inextricable relationship, which is what Jim McKenna and Lee Gettler oh, yeah. called rest sleeping, which yes. is my favorite term because it describes my ethnography, of course. When they're figuring out that actually, you know, they're doing this rest sleeping, it turns out that they're coordinating their sleep cycles. It turns out that breastfeeding is working out. They're sleeping through everything, and they're starting to <laughs> so sort of think about this differently from what they had anticipated before. So there's all sorts of negotiations that go on among these parents as they're, as they're figuring things out. Uh, for those who are listening to this, perhaps weeks or maybe even a couple of years after we're having this conversation, Dr. Tomori is referring to the AAP, the American Academy of Pediatric Guidelines that just came out uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, and also she referred to Dr. James McKenna, who, of course, has been at Notre Dame for oh, I don't know, years. And he has a very interesting article called breast sleeping. And if you read that article, he says in there somewhere, if my memory serves me correctly, he says there is no such a thing as uh, sleeping alone. There is only breast sleeping for a baby who is a breastfed baby. And Cecilia, something that really bothers me a lot, I find myself, as a matter of fact, I have to... uh, I'm doing some staff training for a fairly large uh, hospital system 
uh, first of next week, and they've already asked me, please, can you address rooming in? And what they're really asking is, there's not enough research to show that rooming in, now I'm not talking about sharing a bed, I'm just talking Mm -hmm. about being in the same room with the mother. And please, would you address um, the idea of how much evidence there is to really support this? And I'm thinking, oh, "Oh, dear, here we go. But uh, I feel like there is evidence. Is there enough? I don't know. Is it strong enough? I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? Sure. I mean, I think that this is where the new recommendations actually do help some. So, okay. um, so there is, so there is, okay, so there is this conflict, right, that you're referring to, because it's not just about, you know, the idea of rooming in. People are really resistant to this change, and this is, of course, happening in the context of the Baby Family Hospital Initiative, yep. and there's been this backlash, just Absolutely. like there has been backlash against breastfeeding. Uh, you know, this <laughs> is where all the cultural issues really come into play, and so because we had these norms of sort of separating things, and now we're reintroducing some of these ideas, people are resistant to them. So I think that's sort of the context that you're referring to. And the the really good news about this is that the evidence, even from a very conservative standpoint, that still views breastfeeding and sleep sort of separate, yet somehow interrelated entities, is actually very strong. And so because sharing a room does actually um, have a significant relationship to um, the prevalence of SIDS. So, and, I, you know, I'm kind of hesitant to say, right, that, that um, rooming in reduces um, the risk of um, really, that, that would be the norm. So yeah. um, separation saying- increases the risk, right? And formula feeding increases the risk, not the other way around. Um, but because we have such good evidence, um, that has been independently reviewed and, and reviewed by this task force on infant sleep um, that is published in the new recommendations that just came out a couple of days ago. They actually are now rep- recommending a minimum of six months of putting the baby in the same room with the parents and preferably longer. So I think they're still, so they're still not sort of looking at this from an evolutionary perspective and they're not really addressing what is the mechanism of that reduction? Mm. Why is it that babies don't die as much when they're closer? Well, you know, we can kind of answer that question, right, from an evolutionary perspective because, you know, this is, this is the adaptive behavior. This was selected for. This is what kept babies alive throughout our evolutionary history, right? So, Yes, I mean, we don't know the specific mechanisms of how that works in relation to SIDS yet, but we can start asking some of those questions if we have an evolutionary lens. So I'm suspecting that after these guidelines, there's going to be a lot less resistance um, to the idea of rooming in because, um, because the guidelines are going to be rolled out and there's such a strong emphasis in them about rooming in. So I think that that's going to be good news. The other piece is that, you know, of course, reinforcing this skin-to-skin contact, which, you know, again, in the same physiological evolutionary relationship nexus that we've been talking about. So I think all of that is going to get more support, um, which hopefully will help. Before we close out this segment, I'd just like to remind everybody that Dr. Tomori did not say that sleeping with your baby... Uh, 
it's it's not a cause and effect relationship here. She's saying that there is a correlation, there is an association, there is a link. But do not misunderstand her to be saying that there is a cause and effect relationship because that is a lot more difficult to prove. Hey, everybody, don't go away. We will be right back after this short break. Your life, your health, your network. Voice America Health and Wellness. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894 and ask for your bulk discount. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash good donor. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm here today with expert and author, Dr. Cecilia Tomori, and Dr. Tomori has given us many insights into what happens and how we perceive the whole idea of breastfeeding and sleeping with your baby. And I think that's maybe at the time to ask you, Cecilia, 
what can we do to change the kinds of cultural pressures that are out there right now to better support nighttime breastfeeding? Sure. I think, you know, the best start to this conversation would be to begin having a larger discussion, you know, in the media and Mm. um, in in these education courses about what exactly is normal infant behavior. What exactly happens after birth? What is the relationship of breastfeeding and sleep and birth? These are some of the first things that I think we can do so that parents have a more realistic expectation for what kinds of behaviors they're going to encounter from their babies. What is the baby's expectation? The baby's expectation is to be proximate, is to be breastfed, is to be, you know, constantly washed over. That is what human infants are wired to um, expect. And so I think having that as a, as a starting point of the conversation would be a great part. The other issues, you know, would be to kind of start to head on address some of these concerns. You know, what are our concerns about bedrooms? What are our concerns about beds? What are these associations that we have? What kind of other expectations do we have for babies? You know, in terms of thinking about, um, you know, these ideas about getting them, quote unquote, to sleep through the night, which are completely unrealistic oh. and have lots to do with ideas about, you know, independence and self-sufficiency. These are, you know, cultural moral values, um, you know, that parents and, and, and the children cannot be with um, their babies at nighttime, you know, is tied up with these other moral values. Some of them are about sexuality and some of them are about what kind of person we want the child to be? What kind of relationship do we want to have with this child? So those are some of the conversations that I think we need to have. Um, and then that can, you know, really translate into how to make this a safer process too. You know, because if we have a more realistic and and we know that it's very likely that parents are going to fall asleep with their babies, and thankfully the new guidelines actually have some of these strategies Although, of course, we would like to have a more integrative evolutionary perspective, but at least they're addressing the idea that parents do fall asleep while feeding their babies, while breastfeeding their babies, and thinking about some of the ways that we can actually make that a safer experience. So, so all of these cultural issues, you know, they really can tie in to making this something where um, hopefully all the different issues are addressed at once. We don't need to have hiding of some of the behaviors that people um, have because they're responding to these cultural pressures. So because of the stigma, and, you know, I've just um, co-authored an article on that piece with some colleagues, Anjali Palmquist and Sally Dowling, um, that because stigmatize so many different aspects of breastfeeding, what ends up happening is the parents hide these behaviors. Absolutely. Um, They don't want to tell you they're doing it. Yes, absolutely. And so, you know, if we (laughs) continue to make it a stigmatized experience, we're not really helping anyone. Um, So I think those are some of the key issues that we can um, address, really just, you know, addressing some of these issues head on rather than um, sort of after the fact, ad hoc, and um, with this, you know, giant uh, sort of taboo, <laughs> you know, let's not go yes, there kind yes. of. Um, well, you know, it's funny. Uh, it was uh, a while ago when there was a 
another savvy mother who was telling me her story about visiting her pediatrician, and he sounded like he was a fairly young pediatrician, and something was mentioned about sleeping or not sleeping or what, I'm not sure. But anyway, finally, very reluctantly, she said, well, um, um, I, I, um, no, I'm not supposed to, but, um, really, we sleep together. And the pediatrician had a wonderful comeback. He said, oh, yeah, we do that in our family, too. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was very interesting that she was reluctant to say that, but she's telling me the story. And she seems like she is feeling normal when the pediatrician said, oh, yeah, we do that in our family, too. Uh, Cecilia, we only have a minute or two left. Could you tell us, please, what is the name of your book and why should every parent read your book? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> ambitious. So it is called um, Nighttime Breastfeeding, an American Cultural Dilemma. And it um, is an anthropological perspective on all of the issues that we just discussed. So it provides a historical context. It gives you the biological, anthropological, evolutionary perspective. And then it gives you some of the cultural anthropology lenses that we use to understand some of these conflicts that I just addressed. So thinking about why it is that people have particular difficulties, thinking about these issues in terms of how we manage um, our relationship with um, parents and children, space and time, and um, some of the major inequalities that underlie some of the resources that we need to um, acquire to be able to overcome some of these challenging, which can be a lot, which I would hope um, would be addressed in the future so that all families can breastfeed and um, sleep in ways that are um, safe with, with an approximate relationship with their children. So um, that, is, that is the reason why people might find it helpful. It's not a how-to. It's more a, an analysis of the questions about why and oh, how like these issues came to be. So it's a very different perspective from some of the how-to manuals. Well, I was just going to say, I think we all uh, appreciate the how-tos. A lot of times we want some step-by-step concrete suggestions. But other times, honestly, we really want to do that deep dive of why is this normal or why is this not normal or why is it okay for me to do this or why is it not okay for me to do this and why... Uh, why am I doing this? And is there some logic to support that? And I'm sure that you have addressed that rather completely. And I would say, certainly all of you have probably figured out by now that Dr. Tomori is very scientifically knowledgeable, but she's also very down to earth. You should be able to uh, read that book, which is designed for parents in uh, a way that's very user-friendly. But as usual, we never have enough time uh, for the the show, and you're seeing that, once again, we have run out of time. So before we sign off today, I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Cecilia Tomori. Dr. Tomori, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. I'd like to thank all of you for listening to Born to be Breastfed, and I'd like to invite you all to come back next week. Now, if you're interested in Dr. Tomori's book or other media that was mentioned on this show or on previous shows, check out our Amazon affiliate store. It's on our website. It is at borntobebreastfed.com. I'll repeat that, borntobebreastfed.com. There we will have a link to... Dr. Tamori's book, 
It will be featured for this week, and it will still be available even after this week. So visit us there, or you should also check out our Facebook page. Please do feel free to leave a question for me or for Dr. Tamori or for any of our guests past or, well, I guess... Dr. Tamori is present. Uh, And by the way, please remember to like us while you're there. Now, if you're a professional and you're looking for continuing education about breastfeeding and lactation, please remember that I'm your source for evidence-based practice and education on the web and sometimes in your city. My courses and tons of resources and my blog are all there at my professional website. And that's a little bit different. That is breastfeedingoutlook.com. Again, professionals breastfeedingoutlook.com but don't worry if you're a professional and you land at the parent site we can refer you over uh, to our other one meanwhile I'm Marie Biancuto I promise I'll help you to cut through the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding next Monday same time same channel in the meanwhile remember your baby was born to be breastfed have a great week thank you for tuning in this week to born to be breastfed Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.